C.S. Lewis uh, one time was leaving uh, his friend, whose name was Sheldon uh, Van Uken, who uh, there's, he had also written a book about his relationship with his wife. C.S. Lewis was leaving him one time. They had been together at a pub. And the, uh, as they were leaving, C.S. Lewis said, I won't say goodbye. I'll see you again. And then just as Lewis was crossing the street, he looked back at his friend Sheldon and he, he yelled at for everybody to, to hear, Christians never say goodbye. And as we remembered our brother Bert, and as we look at the empty space where he used to sit with his wife Christine, we are reminded that Christians never say goodbye. And in light of that, I want to read for you today a passage of Scripture found at the end of the 11th chapter of Hebrews and into the beginning of the 12th chapter of Hebrews. So if you have your Scriptures with you, you can turn to that passage. If you don't have them with you, you can. there's one, a pew Bible in front of you. And in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the last two verses and the next two verses in the 12th chapter. Remember that these chapter divisions were put in much later than the text was written. So don't always pay attention to them. Sometimes they don't, they're not in the best place. This is Hebrews 11:39 through 12, 2. And all these, that is all these people whom the writer to Hebrews has been speaking about through the 11th chapter, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should, be, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This letter of Hebrews was written apparently from what we can tell to a suffering people. A suffering people who weren't quite sure what this Christianity was going to do to their lives. And some of them had been persecuted as a result of their Christianity. And so the writer of the Hebrews reminds them that they are not the first ones to ever be persecuted. And he reminds them here after he has told about all of these different people who by faith had followed God. He reminds them here that there's, there's a better place. He is reminding them that heaven is better than anything that we could have here. And so this morning, I thought that we would look at this passage very quickly and ask ourselves a very simple question, and that is, why is heaven better? And for the next few weeks, I'll be trying to answer some questions for you about heaven, about what the Bible tells us about heaven, and about what we should think about some of the things that you may have come to believe about heaven. But today, we'll ask the simple question, why is heaven a better place? And I 
I want to give you three reasons that the scripture here gives us. The first reason heaven is a better place is because of its perfection. You'll notice there in verse 40 of the text, God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What the text is saying here is that all those who lived before Christ, they looked forward to the Messiah, but we are better. God has provided something better to us because we know Jesus. We know who he is. We know his name. That's what God has provided for us. And we cannot be made perfect and we cannot go to the perfect place without the Messiah. And so the first reason that heaven is better is because of the fact that it's perfect. The world in which we live, obviously enough, is not perfect. You know that. When you got up this morning, you knew that the world wasn't perfect by the way that you creaked around. Unless you're a young person, and you will know that sooner or later. You knew that by the things that you had to put on, whether it's glasses or hair or... or makeup, whatever the case may be, you know that the world is not perfect. And that's just a little tiny indication that the world is not perfect. There's a much bigger indication that the world is not perfect. And that is every time that we drive past a hospital, we realize that people go in there because they're sick, because the world is not perfect. Every time we drive past a funeral home, we realize that the reason there are funerals is because people die. And the reason that people die is because the world is not perfect. We remember that the Apostle Paul in the first Corinthians chapter 15, he says that death is our enemy and that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And so we are, none of us here, I think, needs to be convinced of the fact that the world is not perfect. We know that. We know that every time that we have our car breaks down, every time that we mow the grass, every time that something goes wrong, we know that the world is not perfect. And yet, the great thing is, there's a better world. There is a perfect world. And there's a sense in which we all know that. And we long for that better world. We long for that world of perfection. God's fulfillment is always better than we could expect. That's the reason, you see, that Jesus comes, and most of those who were expecting the Messiah during his time, they expected a military Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to come. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. He was going to make Israel a strong nation like it had been, and then he was going to die, and they'd have to find somebody else. But the Messiah was so much better than they could have expected, you see, because he didn't just overthrow the Roman government. That's way too small. He overthrew sin. And he promised us a perfect world. And that's the reason that we know that heaven is a great place. It is a better place, first of all, because of its perfection. But there's a second reason that heaven is better. It's not just because of its perfection, but it's also because of its people. You'll notice in the 12th chapter in the first verse that this passage tells us we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And all of the 11th chapter gives us 
a variety of things that happen to these witnesses. It tells us about Moses. It tells us about Abraham. It tells us about a variety of people. And it reminds us that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. If you've ever been to Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford in Birmingham, Alabama, you know that there's a chapel there, beautiful chapel, And inside the chapel, there's this ornate, beautiful pulpit. And up above it is this rounded dome. And painted on the inside of the dome is this sort of a fence-like sort of. And you can see on the painting a variety of people looking down at at the preacher. There's Martin Luther looking down at the preacher. And there's Charles Spurgeon looking down at the preacher. And there's John Calvin looking down at the preacher. And there are a variety of men and women of faith who are looking down at the preacher. It's a frightening thing. I've never preached there. I mean, legally, that door was just open that time. I, you know, security wasn't that happy. But I, there was nobody there. It's just marvelous picture, but also sort of a frightening picture. And I'm sure that you get that same sense of kind of being frightened when you, when you realize that there is a great cloud of witnesses around us. The thing to remember, though, the thing that's very interesting about this 11th and 12th chapter of Hebrews is that it gives us two different kinds of witnesses. Some of the witnesses you'll notice in the 11th chapter of Hebrews were delivered. Moses was delivered through the Red Sea. Abraham got the promise of a child. But then in the latter part of this 11th chapter, you'll notice that the writer begins to talk about other kinds of people, people who weren't necessarily delivered. And you'll see, for example, in verse 36, others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains of their imprisonment. Now, you can compare that to verse 35, where it says, women receive back their dead by resurrection. And the writer is reminding us that people of faith are not always healed in this life. Uh, You may have heard of the Christian speaker, Johnny Erickson Tata. And you remember that as a young girl, she dove into shallow water, hit her head, and as a result, she's been in a wheelchair for her whole life. And she says that after that accident happened, Several people came to her and they said, if you just had enough faith, God would heal you. It must be that you don't have enough faith. That's the reason that God isn't healing you. And yet, that's just wrong. It's a horrible, horrible heresy. And the writer of the Hebrews wants us to know this, that in the 11th chapter, there are not just people women who got their dead back by the resurrection, but in the latter part of verse 35, he says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might arise again to a better life. And so today, if you're suffering, and if you've prayed, and you've asked God, please take this suffering away from me, I want you to realize that sometimes suffering is what God has called us to. 
There's the story of uh, St. Teresa of Avalon, not Mother Teresa, but St. Teresa of Avalon, different person. And she suffered a great deal, both physical ailments and other sorts of things. And the story is that one day she was in a monk's cell, which is, you know, what they call their room. It's not like a prison cell. It's, it's where they live. And she's in her cell and she's praying. And she says, God, why have you given me so much trouble and suffering in my life? And she says that God said to her, this is the way I prepare my friends. And she said, well, it's no wonder you don't have very many friends then. <laughs> but they're, they're wrapped up in a nutshell is the truth that God does deliver some people of faith for a little while, but God also allows people of faith to suffer. And, and we need to realize that we, the fellowship that we have here together with both people whom God has delivered from their suffering and other people whom God has allowed to suffer, that community will be perfected in heaven. And we will be able to know all of those people in that giant community and we will be able to see how it is that God has perfected them, some as a result of alleviating their suffering and some as a result of allowing their suffering. Even those people that were on the ceiling at Beeson, there are people like Charles Spurgeon who suffered very, very serious bouts of depression. Very, very serious, intense pain throughout his whole life. And he, he talks about that in his writings about how serious the depression was as a result of the pain that he faced in his own life. And yet we know that one day we will be able to meet again Charles Spurgeon and he will be free from that demon of depression. And any of us who suffer from whether it might be physical or psychological ailments, that one day we will be among a people, a community of people who gather together and sing praises to God because of the fact that we are a people whom God has perfected. But there's a third thing that the Scripture tells us. Heaven is a better place not just because of its perfection and not just because of its people, but thirdly, and most importantly, because of its priest. You'll notice in the second verse of the 12th chapter, the writer of Hebrews gives us a little bit of a shock. He says, looking to Jesus. Now think about the fact that all through chapter 11, he's been saying Moses and Abraham and Barak and Samson, all these different people, and yet, when it comes down to the end of it, he says, therefore, all these people, you would expect him to say, now go out and be like Abraham, go out and be like Moses, go out and be like these people. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, go out and look to Moses because of his faith, or go out and look to Abraham because of his faith. He says, look to Jesus. 
And that's the amazing thing that the book of Hebrews tells us. It tells us that even though there are these so-called heroes of faith, all of them had their problems. Moses was a murderer. Abraham was a compulsive liar. All of them had their problems. No matter how faithful they were, their faith always broke down at one time or another. And yet, there's one. One whose faith never broke down. And he is, as we sang just a few moments ago, he is the resurrected one. You see, there are all kinds of other religions. Buddhism, Islam all kinds of other people, but none of them lives today. We today are Christians because we stand in the empty tomb and say, say what you will about your other religious leaders, ours is alive. That's the power of the resurrection. And that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us that heaven will be perfect because of the fact that our Lord is perfect and He will be there. And we look to Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, and we stand in whatever trials that we face. We stand with the realization that those trials will not last forever. Earlier on in the 11th chapter, the writer talks about a better resurrection. It's an, it's an interesting phrase, a better resurrection. Because you see, there, there's a number of resurrections in the, in the Scripture, several of them alluded to there in that 35th verse, women who got their dead back. And you remember, of course, Lazarus. And then there's that resurrection of the tombs at the, at the death of Christ. They people come up out of the grave. Remember, it's fascinating little passage. The problem, you see, was that all of those people died again. Lazarus is not still alive going around writing a book, My Three Days in Heaven. He's not doing that. Lazarus died again. The better resurrection is the one that we will have in heaven because that is a resurrection that is absolutely perfect and we will not have to die again. The healing that we face in heaven will be the ultimate healing because we will never again get sick. That's the reason that we can say that heaven is a better place. It's not just better because of its perfection. It's not just better because of its people. It's mostly better because of its priests, because Jesus Christ is there to perfect us. And that's an amazing thing. No matter what kind of problems that you might have right now, no matter what kind of things you might be going through, we can realize that one day it'll be over. And one day things will indeed get better. An amazing thing happened in 1990. It, it, in May of 1990, it was the, the end of the Soviet Union. In, in, for all intents and purposes, it was on the end of dying. And they had there, as they did a number of times, what they called May Day. It was a celebration of their uh, winning over the Nazis. 
And you remember seeing pictures of May Day, how they would drive these tanks down the road in, in Red Square. They would have these giant missiles, and we have since found out that most of them were empty and didn't really do anything. And on that day, in May of 1990, Mikhail Gorbachev was seated there in Red Square, and he watched as the tanks and the missiles filed through for May Day. And there were thousands and thousands of spectators behind the barriers that had been set up to keep them away. This was the Soviet Union and Mikhail Gorbachev would have said, this is the most powerful country or group of countries in the world. This was the Soviet Union who had done all that it could to try to wipe out any semblance of religion, particularly any semblance of Christianity. It had tried to wipe Christianity out of the empire. A seemingly small protest started on that day in May of 1990 when eight people broke through the barrier and ran toward that place where Mikhail Gorbachev was seated. Immediately, the, the Soviet police and the KJP began to go around and, and grab them, keep them from going up there, but six of them escaped, and they were running through the tanks, and they were being caught one by one, until finally, finally, this one person rushed away from the police, and he stood in front of the place where Mikhail Gorbachev was seated up above him. And he rose up this eight-foot cross, held it up, and he said, Mikhail Gorbachev, Christ is risen. But that's not the most amazing thing that happened. The most amazing thing that happened that day was, after a few seconds, that crowd of thousands and thousands of people answered this man. And when he said, Mikhail Gorbachev, Christ is risen, they said, he is risen indeed. And so in life or in death, our greatest hope is a place that we are reminded of every time we look into the empty tomb. And I say to you, people of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, Christ is risen. And one day, one day, we will go there with it. Amen.